banks are the bellwether of the Canadian economy. As economy goes, so does the banks. They're 20% of the TSX composite index, and it tends to be a pretty stable unit of the index. Welcome to the fifth episode of our deep dive series on Canadian bank quarterly earnings. Today, we're covering the fourth quarter 2021 bank earnings announcements, and we're going to return each quarter on this channel to update you on the latest financial results. My name is Daniel Stanley. I'm an ETF specialist at BMO Exchange Traded Funds, and I'm joined today by my friends and colleagues, Chris Heeks, Portfolio Manager for all of BMO's equity and multi-asset ETFs, and Sorab Mobahedi, Managing Director, Financials Research at BMO Capital Markets. Today, we're going to cover the recent bank earnings announcements and what they mean for investors in the Canadian economy, as well as looking at different ETF strategies that give you exposure to the Canadian banks. So without further ado, Chris and Saurabh, thank you for taking the time to join me. And let's get started. And I want to start things a little bit differently today, Chris and Saurabh, because I took the liberty to look at the comments that you both made on our very first Canadian Bank podcast, which was recorded almost exactly one year ago. So happy anniversary. Sureb, I want to start with you because one year ago you said, and I quote, it was an interesting end to a challenging quarter, end quote. Can you share with the audience how the banks did in the recent quarter and how does it compare to this time last year? Yeah, thanks. You know, um, I'll start off by saying they always tell you that the key to a happy life is low expectations. So I think coming out of last year, we had our expectations reset. Going into this quarter, when you look at uh, our expectations, and I'm here, I'm talking about BMO Capital Markets, expectations for the Canadian banks, the fourth quarter results actually all exceeded our expectations. I will say, though, that CIBC Royal and national fell a bit shy of expectations. Uh, Relative to our expectations, I think it was a continued narrative of good credit performance. That would have been a key contributor to the beats. And I'll say that uh, really all but two of the banks are now, you know, had reported net recovery positions on the provision for credit line. Um, uh, on the income statement. So that is incredibly rare. (laughs) You look back, I don't know, I've looked back 20 years, I think it's happened for some of the banks once. And it's a reflection of obviously excessive reserve building with the benefit of hindsight. Some tailwinds continue as far as the credit for next year, but obviously there's going to be some degree of uh, normalization, which, uh, you know, is another way of saying... um, don't be worried about credit, but don't expect to have recoveries, obviously, uh, going forward. So there will be a little bit of a headwind on that line, probably, for some of these banks. Um, you know, the capital levels, uh, a source of uh, or a thermometer, if you will, on balance sheet strength, uh, remain very strong up year over year. Uh, TD Bank remains the capital leader. The CET1 regulatory common ratio uh, over there is 15.2%. Honestly, for Canadian banks, literally unheard of. Probably, if you go back 10 years, uh, it would have been mid-single digits. Pre-crisis, we would have been happy with, uh, call it 10, 10 and a half. 
I mean, 15.2, obviously very well capitalized. Now, that would be uh, an extreme from a TD perspective, but all of the banks are probably comfortably ahead of uh, regulatory uh, minimums. We updated our 2022 expectations from an EPS perspective for all of the banks. And I'd say coming out of uh, this year, going into next year, uh, we would characterize flat is the new up as far as bank earnings are concerned, um, because we think that, like I said, there will be some normalization on the credit line. That is a headwind, uh, but that will be offset by the, by the tailwinds of uh, improving top-line growth, largely on the back of uh, expectations of higher interest rates and uh, net interest margins. So a better quality earnings, I guess, insofar as it will not be a credit-driven uh, year, uh, but all the same, we'll probably keep earnings at bay uh, compared to this year. And then as uh, the market starts ch- shifting focus to the 2023 earnings, we rolled out our estimates for them and uh, you know, basically expect the banks to get to uh, within their medium term EPS targets of uh, uh, growth targets of 5 to 10%. So all in all, I would say a good, a satisfying end, I guess, this year. Uh, with a bit of a constructive outlook uh, into 2022, but really, and beyond into 2023. Thanks very much, uh, sir. I appreciate that insight. Uh, Chris, over to you, because a year ago, and and you said, and I quote here, that banks are an anchor in Canada. How does the recent experience over the last year either reinforce that idea or maybe even weaken that idea? Can you comment on that? Yeah, for sure. And and I'm not sure. Uh, thanks, Dan. First of all, um, you know, I'm not sure exactly uh, what I meant by that at the time. You know, I can barely remember sometimes what I said last week. But uh, but, you know, I think I think where that comment came from um, and it's certainly been reinforced by the past year, you know, banks are the bellwether of the Canadian economy. As economy goes, so does the banks. The banks have their ties deep through all components of the Canadian you know, economy and the Canadian market. You know, they're 20% of the TSX composite index, and it tends to be a pretty stable unit of the index, whereas you've seen you know, over the past year, say, energy weights go up and down or material weights go up and down. The banks are always there. So an anchor from that perspective. Um, you know, I think the other, the other kind of way of looking at that statement that, that I think resonates is just how, you know, anchor from a point of an investment point of view and how accretive an investment they've been for Canadians over the years um, you know, they have this very long-term track record of, of outperformance versus the index and also anchor from the sense of quality. And we've seen how powerful, you know, quality investing can be on our side. We talk about it all the time, Dan, right, in our ETF discussions. Um, but very high quality, diversified business as well run. And, you know, I, I think there's, you know, it's really been reinforced over the past year. You know, I think we were always generally constructive on that that recovery from COVID from the beginning. You know, it was going to take some time. We needed vaccines. You're right. It was a year ago. We kind of had those first vaccine push. But banks weathered the storm. You know, Sorab said incredibly well capitalized in Canada and now now perhaps to an, you know, an all time record, it sounds like. Um, but, you know, banks took their lumps during during early COVID. You know, and, and they were down. But now, you know, we're coming off a year of 40 plus percent returns. You know, one thing we look up, look at is just, just, just personally, the BMO returns on a one, three, five, and ten-year basis, and BMO's beating 
and all the bank, you know, the ZEB is beating, you know, on all those metrics now. So um, I think that comment certainly is still holding true that they're, they're an anchor and, you know, it's something I think investors can lean into. Thanks, Chris. That's a great segue into my next question, uh, Saurabh, for you, because Chris sort of alluded to the point of the banks being uh, an anchor to Canadian investors from an investment perspective. And and Saurabh, we we know that the dividend increases and share buybacks, the the amounts weren't known ahead of time. Certainly, it was well telegraphed in advance that this was likely going to happen after the regulators allowed it to. What I found interesting was that the media was very hyperbolic about it. They, you know, there was a headline from one of the newspapers that said Canadian banks expected to unleash dividend growth tsunami next week. End quote. So, sir, my question for you is: Was this a quote-unquote tsunami, like the headline said? And were there any surprises out there when it came to dividend increases and, and share buybacks? Yeah, and I'll go back to how I started the first one, and I'd say I guess the key to a happy life is low expectations. So the dividend increases um, certainly would, quote-unquote, look like a tsunami relative to our expectations. They generally came in double uh, the uh, growth that we were looking for, led by BMO, a 25% dividend increase. That would have been the high National Bank at around 23%, but quite honestly, the rest of them, TD, Royal, Scotia, CIBC, all in the 10 to 12, 13% range. So that is obviously um, a, a big statement on the part of the bank management teams around their earnings growth outlooks for their franchises, uh, but it's also uh, a catch-up, if you will, to reflect the missed payment, the missed increases, I shouldn't say payment, but the missed increase uh, last year, which uh, you know was uh, impacted by the moratorium the regulator had put on uh, around uh, dividend increases. With respect to buybacks, you know I think we may have even talked about it on on this podcast in the past. Um, you know, the, uh, the buybacks actually in a couple of instances would have been a little bit higher than what we were looking for. We were generally looking for a 2%, um, as, you know, NCIB type uh, share buyback program. I think a couple of the banks uh, actually went up to, you know, home team here, BMO went up as high as 3.5%, a couple of the other ones at around 3%. But so call it that 2 to 3.5% range. And I would characterize that number one, we like it, but number two, it's it's is it going to be executed on? Are they going to actually comp- complete these programs as, as opposed to just having them as a placeholder? That is going to be an important indicator. We expect, you know, a bank like Scotia, a bank like TD, will probably complete the program. Some of the other banks may not, not because. They're less inclined to return the capital, but they may have a better place to redeploy that capital relative to where their stock is uh, trading at. So I would say uh, buybacks as or slightly ahead of expectations, dividends certainly ahead of our expectations. And remember that most of the Canadian banks tend to review their dividends semi-annually. So we would expect 
you know, at some stage, call it over the next uh, uh, couple of quarters, uh, when they report their second quarter results for 2022, maybe we'll see some other bumps. But I would suspect those ones would be a lot more measured um, relative to their earnings growth prospects as opposed to uh, the catch-up that we got over here. Lastly, I'd say is there, there was no shift in the dividend payout ratio targets for the banks, so they continue to target that 40 to 50% range. And so we think uh, the kind of capital levels they have, the kind of earnings they're generating, the kind of ROEs that delivering on those earnings uh, or on their equity, I suppose, is is uh, quite supportive of continued dividend increases. They're Let's call it the track record should stay intact as far as, uh, you know, continuing to pay the dividends and increase it. And, you know, we would be more on the camp on the on the buybacks that, uh, you know, instead of getting a year of a five or six percent buyback, you know, it would be very Canadian like to have two or three years of two to three percent buyback. So we expect that could be a gentle tailwind for earnings per share uh, going into 2023 and hopefully beyond as well. Thanks, Rob. That's a great tie-in to what Chris was saying about the, from an investment perspective, the Canadian banks being an anchor. And, and it's great to hear that given their their capital levels, their earnings, that it's, it does support dividend increases uh, for the future, given how Canadian banks are such an anchor for Canadian investors and, and they look to that dividend uh, as a key part of their uh, their total return. You're listening to a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In case you didn't know, BMO GAM recently launched an ETF series of its BMO Money Market Fund to give investors an easy, efficient place to park your cash. You can find the ETF under the ticker symbol ZMMK or in the show notes for this episode. Chris, I want to come back to you. ZEB, which is the Canadian Equal Weight Bank ETF, it was up roughly three to four percent in just that one month period between sort of mid October and mid November. There still seems to be a lot of uncertainty globally with the pandemic, um, the supply chain issues. Can you talk to us what's driving sort of the positive sentiment in the banks right now? And do you see any headwinds to that going forward? Yeah, thanks a lot. Yeah, I think it's been a been an exciting month or six weeks or so. Um, you know, certainly we, I think we all get a little excited around bank earnings to, you know, gives you that read on what's happening in markets and maybe a direction forward. I think, you know, anticipation around these earnings in particular with the, the focus on the, those potential dividend increases, certainly were top of mind for, for investors. Um, you know, it was early November that OSFI gave that uh, relief to that temporary prohibition to increase dividends or buyback stocks. That came early November. That certainly you know, fueled some of the positive sentiment. You know, the real kind of curveball, obviously, I think was the Omicron variant, you know, hitting the market in late November, you know, and as we go to go to, go to taping, you know, today and kind of, you know, early December, we don't, we don't know exactly uh, how, you know, how big an issue is, but it looks like the early indications are, you know, although it may be transmissible, um, not as virulent or, you know, as potent a virus as, as maybe some of the earlier variants. So I think that's been the short-term news and what that allows 
uh, ZEB and the, the market as a whole is kind of to correct back to that path that was on pre the Omicron news. So that's what we're seeing. Assuming those concerns kind of kind of can abate on the Omicron side, um, we're seeing ZEB trade back towards the level it was pre-Omicron. Um, and it can get back to those fundamental strengths and, you know, participate in some of those um you know, dynamics that Saurabh's speaking about and potentially continuing, you know, I would expect, but potentially continuing on that path of, of dividend increases again into next year, maybe not as obviously as as um, as big as ones we had this quarter, but, you know, continuing on those, those positive trends um, of economic strength, of managing and to, to get through this, this crisis. So I think, you know, again, um, you know, as investors look forward, there's there's a lot of positive sentiment. And from an income point of view, you know, um, if you want income as an investor, you know, equi- the equity market is, is actually a pretty attractive place to get that. Now, obviously, you always have to manage your asset allocation, but with banks yielding kind of closer towards 4% now, you know, it's an attractive place to be where, where fixed income yields are, are still low for the time being. So, um, you know, I think, um, you know, the, the tailwinds are there. So to continue on the analogy of the ship, you know, it's an, it has the anchor and the tailwinds are there. And I think in, as investors get more comfortable with this new variant, you know, we're seeing that positivity back into the underlying stocks. Thanks for that, Chris. Uh, sir, I want to move back to you. Chris sort of alluded to one curveball, which was Omicron. The other curveball was the sort of the suggestion uh, that there would be a new surcharge on financial institution profits over a billion dollars. Uh, I think that sort of came out publicly back at the end of the summer. Uh, there was the suggestion recently that it could be pushed through by Ottawa as soon as the start of, of 2022. Just curious at a high level how investors sort of should approach this concern at this point in time. Yeah, it's a it's a hard one to have uh, obviously very good uh, clarity or visibility on, but I will say that uh, there is no doubt that the banks benefited, and I'm here I'm talking about Canadian banks, but probably banks globally, uh, with their respective kind of governments, uh, benefited from the government support programs insofar as it allowed the. Con- economy, I guess, to continue to perform, obviously at a reduced level, but continue to perform. You know, you look at what has happened uh, since the trough. I mean, the banks have kind of come back and uh, and uh, the earnings have kind of stayed intact. And part of the reason why we're getting these credit recoveries is because of some of the government support programs that were introduced in response to COVID. So, I don't think the banks, I mean, I'm not, I can't speak for the banks. I don't think the banks uh, see any issue with, uh, you know, contributing to the recovery. I think that the issue is whether or not it makes sense to either isolate one specific industry. That's going to be, I guess, the politicians uh, uh, call on this. And, uh, and number two, you know, whether or not going uh, at a some sort of a surcharge tax on the banks, uh, would it be, I suppose, in a way, expropriating shareholders' money? <laughs> uh, but I think, look, I think the banks will proceed and deal with this thing in a Canadian way. I think they understand, the regulator understands, and probably the, reg- uh, the legislator understands that, uh, uh, you know, it has to be a solution 
that uh, works for everyone. And usually the way the solution has worked in Canada is whatever the outcome as far as a surcharge or a tax or a uh, headwind for the banks, it, it has been something that has been layered in uh, with uh, with the benefit of time. And when you have that, then obviously banks and bank management teams and investors and market participants have uh, have sufficient time to uh, to react to it, you know. I'll say so. So therefore, let's call that. Yeah, there might be a bit of a bump, effective in the effective tax rate here. I will say though that if you had told me, you pick it four years ago, two years ago, three years ago, that the Canadian banks would continue to give you a resilient mid to high teens return on equity, even as their capital levels may double. <laughs> or go up by 50%, I would have said, I don't see that possible, but they've proven that they can. So on the one hand, I think we need to take the liberal tax and or any other surcharges within reason seriously. But I think on the other hand, if we look back to history, uh, we'll see that uh, with the benefit of time, the banks have actually been able to continue to deliver shareholder-friendly returns, notwithstanding some of these headwinds. That's great, sir. Thank you for that. Um, Chris, I want to come back to you, and I, I want to go back to a point that Sorab made. Uh, he, he said uh, that flat is the new up. So, Chris, if we take that comment over to the performance of the Canadian banks, let's hypothetically say that the Canadian banks start to trade sideways instead of the, the upward motion that they've had uh, over the last couple of years. What other solutions are available to generate return in a flat market? Yeah, thanks, Dan. And, and obviously, this is where our covered call overlay can add some value for investors. So ZWB is our equal weight Canadian banks uh, cover call strategy, um, really designed for income, you know, a couple of use cases, but income oriented investors, investors who want a little bit less risk because the cover call will tend to, to reduce risk a bit, or like you say, could be for tactical investors who just expect a less um, outright bullish market. You know, the cover call can potentially add value in that market. You know, what we're doing with those cover call overlays is, um, uh, selling cover calls, so that's selling up a portion of potential upside in return for current income. And it's really that income, that extra call at 3% a year on the Canadian banks and, and income coming from the options that can, uh, you know, gives you that kind of risk reduction, little benefit, and also gives you that ability to outperform in sideways markets. So, um, you know, overall, I'd say it's, it's, a, it's a conducive market to cover call strategies right now. Um, one of the things that helps you generate income efficiently is actually volatility. And we're seeing a little bit more volatility in the market, you know, not only with Omicron, but I think, you know, around central bank policy, and maybe we'll talk about this on the next call, but central bank policy and potentially increasing rates into next year. Um, and, and, but, but that volatility background backdrop can actually be beneficial for the cover call uh, overlay. So, um, you know, again, it's a, it can be a very useful tool for investors who, um, perhaps have that tactical view on a less bullish market or or simply investors who have that need for income or want to take a little bit less risk off the table. So, you know, our ZWB is yielding right now 5.6% net. So obviously, you know, much above the the, um, the underlying yield of the banks with that extra yield from the cover call options and, 
And and then one thing you know to be a little bit excited about for our ETF investors is the potential for that to increase because 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 Dan, as you know, we haven't reset our uh, dividend yields on our ETFs yet to reflect the dividend increases that just came through the Canadian bank. So potential for a little bit of increase and good news story there as well for our ETF investors. But uh, yeah, very valuable tool if that's the approach you would like to take. Thanks, Chris. And, and Chris and Saurabh, guys, thank you both. Uh, I've jotted down a couple of things that I think are some of the key insights. And first of all, Chris, I, I agree with you 100%. I think next call, let's have a quick discussion on central bank policy, given the changes that are going on. Um, Saurabh, I love the comment that you made about you know the fact that the banks are um, sort of getting mid to high uh, teens return on equity with capital levels that are up sort of 50% um, range that, that you thought it wouldn't be possible. But the fact is they're, they're proving us otherwise. I think that's a really important sort of take home. Uh, Chris, the, the take home from you, the fact that the equity market is still a great place, you know, to get income. Uh, when you look at ZEB, the yield of 4% versus bond yields, a significant difference there. And then uh, your last point there, important point that we actually haven't adjusted those dividends yet in ZEB, that will, uh, those dividend increases will be reflected uh, shortly. As a reminder to the audience, you can get exposure to the Canadian banks via ZEB, ZCN, and ZWB. All ETFs trade actively on the TSX. You can get exposure to our U.S. banks via ZUB and ZBK or the covered call U.S. banks ETF ZWK. If you have any questions, please visit our ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca for research, news, and insights. That's all for today, folks. Thank you for tuning in. Please join us in mid-March for the next update on Canadian banks. Thank you to Sora Movahedi, Chris Heeks, and Daniel Stanley for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to tune into this same podcast series each Thursday morning for timely insights and strategies. And be sure to bookmark the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. That's bmoetfs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. 